You want to tell a story. You want to get to value as soon as possible. I have this amazing. I'm the first and only. No one's ever done this. We have no competitor. Great. All throwaway words. Your customers don't care about that. The press has heard this all before. How do you do it better? Or why do you suck less than your competition? We try and just cut it down. Because what, Benjamin Franklin? If I had more time, I would have written less. All right. Welcome, Harry. Oh, wait. Harry's not here today. It's just me, Colin, but I have a great guest, Trace Cohen. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hey there. Glad we could set this up. Yeah, no, it's been a long time coming, mostly my scheduling woes getting it up, but I'm excited to dig in. I'm going to try and do a good job of reading your bio, but you can feel free to color in any of the things that I miss. But you're a serial entrepreneur, 15 years of experience. Your first startup was Brand Yourself out of college in your dorm room, which is super fun. And then you did a few more after graduation and you've been angel investing. It sounds like for quite a bit of time, 60 plus companies they've invested in. Uh, you also went to Columbia Business School. So it sounds like you're a, a New Yorker at heart and currently live there. And then you also are investing today through New York Venture Partners. And I'm going to have to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, but anything else you want to add? That's I think I got it. Yeah. So the whole thing about starting a company in college where my parents are <laughs> entrepreneurs, not were past, they built and sold oh, a nice. company and they highly encouraged my siblings and I, my older sister, younger brother, I'm the middle child to start our own companies by 26. So as you mentioned, I'm a New Yorker born and bred. I went to Syracuse, studied and majored in entrepreneurship, started my first company on my dorm room with my best friend and roommate, and then went to Columbia and I'm back in New York on Long Island now. So that's why we're New York Venture Partners. Got it. And maybe just touching on that a little bit before we go into some more of uh, your background and specifics, does that mean you focus only in New York and investing or are you broad? What's your, what do you guys do? So before the digital era, so I started my first company in 2008, right? Like when Facebook started, so there wasn't all these Zoom or WebExes and our network was in person. That's how we got business done. And so at least in 2008, I was running my company and then a few after when I graduated in 2010, but really jumping ahead is my father's been an angel investor probably for a few decades, but more focused and full-time since about 2008, 2009, when he took over and ran the New York Angels. So as that name implies as well, we're New York Venture Partners, which we started in 2015, 2016, but he took over the New York Angels in 2008, nine, and that was mostly New York deal flow. And when I would give my young millennial advice to him, it was all just based on my New York experience. And uh, when I joined him kind of full-time in 2014, 2015, it was just everybody we knew in New York. So we wanted to invest in like New York companies, but that's where our deal flow or expertise and network was. Got it. So just more of a convenience and, you know, what was from your network and things like that. Um, yeah. I don't go to San Francisco much at the time. I wasn't really going to LA much. It wasn't too much of a scene. I think Snapchat was on the up. But New York, it was definitely interesting. We didn't have like the data dogs and all these uh, digital oceans and other companies that are like hmm. the $10 billion plus market caps now. A lot of consumer and a lot of fintech, a lot of fashion, uh, CPG. Now we're getting more into the enterprise B2B uh, kind of large AI companies. Yeah, that makes sense. And ironically, the companies I have invested in out of, in New York or in state and New York are both fintech and fashion, which yep, not surprising, you know? Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's interesting that startups tend to mirror a bit of like the industries that are surrounding them. I, I don't know what that says for San Francisco though, because they're all over the board, but the, the point being, <laughs> yeah, it's an they're interesting, uh, 
Yeah, no, it's an interesting path dependency I hadn't really ever thought about. And uh, they have the universities, and that's really what it comes down to, is they have the Stanfords of the world. New York doesn't really have in the city um, from Columbia and like NYU, they're not great technical schools. And so then Cornell Tech came a few years ago. It was kind of helpful, but you don't get the same people as you would at kind of like MIT or at Stanford or some other schools. And so we never were the heaviest in tech talent. We were always very heavy in business and finance. Interesting. Huh. Well, that was really, it's fun to talk about. Now in my head is thinking about this uh, whole world of, you know, wherever you start, your company seems to have some kind of reflection of all the things that came before it and your shared history there. Yep. Uh, so I want to get to know you a little bit better in your journey uh, in angel investing. We'll start with a few rapid fire questions just to kind of get to know you. I've already asked how many angel investments have you made? It sounds like 60 plus. Is that yep. sound about right? And I guess how many angel investments do you plan to do this year or have you made? What does that look like? So we have 60 investments really over the last decade, probably four to five. When my father was doing it full time. When I joined him, he got it more kind of four to six and increased it all the way up until eight and 10. And then with 2021, the crazy year, we did 12 investments. So like basically one a month or there was one month where we did three, just happened to work out that way because VC is kind of chunky, right? You have the beginning of the year, don't bother me in the summer, don't bother me during <laughs> Labor Day. You have this little window between like Labor Day and Thanksgiving, and then maybe one squeaks in before the end of the year, and three follow on. Everybody else, last few years, we've definitely cut it down. So we've done about two to four just uh, last year. And so far, uh, we're planning to do this year as well. Got it. And what is your typical check size that you guys do? Yeah, generally 25, 50,000 up to 100,000 in follow on. And we really try and be as early as possible. Less than 10 million valuations is kind of our sweet spot. Our goal is to make money. So if you get in early and get a lower valuation at multiples it definitely hopefully returns a lot more got it is there like a certain i know you said you want to be early um but is there certain kind of pattern recognition stage type that you're you're looking for you can call it whatever you want pre-seed angel investing as long as it's below 10 million it's really kind of just nomenclature and below a 10 million valuation if we're going to be like the first check or part of that first uh capital raise we generally don't get the repeat founders who are going to just command a 10, 20, even 30 million and some higher in those crazy days of 2021. And so it's really just a bet on the team and their experience. Hopefully uh, we have the expertise, some of a network and understands what we're investing in. So yes, we made some AI machine vision investments. I'm not technical, don't have a PhD, but fundamentally I get what they're going after. I know the market, I know the customers and we have a background in PR marketing. So that's where we really try and help uh, a lot of these companies, especially early on, it's a, a appreciated skill set that can be very powerful. No, that makes sense. I've, for the five plus startups I've done, uh, PR has always been one of those differentiating factors for the ones that I've seen that have really gotten great exit velocity. It's like, it's a muscle to build like anything, yep. right? And uh, if you get it right and you do it well, it's like super powerful. And I, th I think it gets confused with brand a bit. Uh, they are interlinked, right? Because, you know, the more your name's mentioned, the more, you know, repetition and therefore brand recall there is, uh, but they're fundamentally different things, right? Uh, but maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about like, how do you help companies with that and coach them on that front? 
So first is just understanding, as you said, what their brand is, how they're perceived and how they own it. So great. Everyone thinks of PR as a press release. I send it, I pitch a journalist and I get PR coverage. But when we work with companies, we want them to also have PR, uh, a strategy with their customers, how they reach out, what brands, how they're perceived, because we like to say it's not what they read, it's what they understand and what they comprehend. Uh, so we work with them and media training, how to talk at conferences, how to talk to the press, how to talk on podcasts, understanding who the audience is, always benefits, benefits. So you want to tell a story, you want to get to value as soon as possible. I have this amazing, I'm the first and only, no one's ever done this. We have no competitors. Great. <laughs> all throwaway words, throwaway sentences. Your customers don't care about that. The press has heard this all before. You're not unique. Everybody has done this. How do you do it better or why do you suck less than your competition? And so we try and just cut it down. I think it was about Benjamin Franklin. If I had more time, I would have written less, maybe Abe Lincoln, right? So really focusing on that and getting ahead of it. And so I'm helping a lot of uh, my founders with uh, media because you don't have to tell someone, oh, I can't share that. That's kind of confidential information. That's a way saying, play the professor. You are starting this company, doing something crazy that most people dream of to put yourself through this. What do you know that others don't? Play the professor. You mm. have some insight. What have you learned? What can you teach me? I want to walk away from a founder pitch or even as a consumer, be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I should be taking this supplement. I should be using this tool. That makes sense. And it just clicks. Got it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny is that uh, using and pitching is probably very similar to PR. Uh, when people think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a call with uh, my one of my founders before this, and actually just one just texted me. <laughs> I, I just got off the call with a journalist. Sorry, like I was on a call before with another founder. I uh, wanted to run it by me first because I want to be your first call when you have to talk to a journalist or planning to just to prep it. Trust me, when someone turns the camera on or someone puts a mic in your face, you go blank. And unless you're ready and you know your bullet points, you know what you're going to say. It really is training. Uh, it is a lot of fun because I get to be really annoying and ask you questions. Yeah, well, it sounds like that's what you love doing. And you've figured out a really great way to marry, you know, adding value monetarily, but also through the actual like process and operation of doing PR, which drives huge enterprise value for the business. I mean, it's probably yeah. one of the few marketing channels that are, you know, just growth channels in general that has pretty unlimited upside if you get it right. Like, you know, just like the potential virality of it. And it's really also just uh, a lot of marketing channels, which are also uh, multiplicative or exponential on all your other channels, right? Like, yeah. So, no, it it's, a, hard. it's a good I, area. I don't envy PR professionals having done it for <laughs> years working specifically uh, with startups in 2010, 11, 12, when like a pre-seed or seed round was like $1 million and you had high expectations. Uh, that's exactly uh, what comes down to. So one question on that, you know, I think looking back at all the startups um, been with, you know, it was always the PR always came around and you got your first dose of it when you raised your first real round. Right. And it was like, let's go get TechCrunch to write about this or, you know, whatever it was. Right. And that's like and then that was like, that's PR. Right. Uh, I mean, how do you coach founders on this whole press release around funding? I'm, I'm intrigued to hear uh, a good take on this. So when I had my agency, it was 
we won't sign a startup for less than six months. Otherwise, you'd be a hired gun. You raise money. You're trying to use our kind of uh, journalist connections. Right now, at least when I did, there was four of the one, probably five of the one PR professionals to journalism uh, or journalist writers. And so it's getting harder and harder. Most people just kind of copy and paste spam. You build relationships. Some people have them. And so a lot of the time we write the press release and it's fun. It's just kind of a mind stream of what are the headlines that people want to read, the subheader, the first sentence of like, what is the announcement, the partnership? And then you can get into quotes, bullets, links, and probably 50% of the time, the articles are just directly taking what you wrote, which is great because then I control the message. Uh, we didn't want to get hired for less than six months. And so mm -hmm. when I work with my founders specifically, and the worst is when I uh, was pitched early on my agency, they're like, hey, we're the best. We raised a million dollars. It's amazing. People love us. Unfortunately, it's like pitching a VC or any investor. It's like a one in 100 shot. They're busy. So you try and fluff it up as much as possible. Like we're raising this amount of money from these investors. We're making this partnership announcement. But once again, what are the benefits? Who cares? If you're a journalist, you need one headlines and good stories. It's not all about the views. It's a lot about the views. Uh, so who is going to share it out? And so what we do is we write a lot of different press releases over time because it's also content and SEO because assuming you'll be successful, people are going to Google search you and they're going to try and look for articles written about you, credibility. And so we want to write a lot about partnerships, about hires, not just funding announcements. Those are the glitz and the glam, but the funding announcement, at least from an investor founder standpoint, that's just the beginning. Like it is hard to raise capital, but then what do you do with this capital and the expectations afterwards? So we like to think of it as like a launch period. You don't just launch the company. You're launching the idea of it. You then make iterations and hopefully you can then talk about the outcomes of what came from that. Were you right? Were you wrong? What did you learn in this process? So just constantly on the move. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it called rolling thunder uh, is like a, a great strategy. Yeah. I like that. It's definitely like uh, as well. We had some really tough thunder here. So yeah, <laughs> you don't have to be kind to my euphemisms. It's okay. Uh, no, no, I like um, it. I like to take it from people. So I might actually use that. Perfect. Uh, we get back to like the angel investing side a little bit more. Um, a super fun conversation. I think tactically, and a lot of people that listen are actually founders and operators. Uh, what? Take me back. What was your first angel check? Uh, and maybe a little bit about First that, company. more about the process and how you found it, like check size, what you learned, things like that. Yeah. The first one that comes to mind, I think it might be Laughly. And so <laughs> this came through the New York Angels. This was our deal flow and I was just kind of getting started. And this is when apps for everything was kind of coming out, Spotify for music. And this was, I'm a huge fan of like South Park and I used to love all the comedy bits of all the major comedians. And so this is Lapley. It was like uh, Pandora for comedy, which made sense. Everybody was coming out with bits. This is when uh, started getting their own shows. And I liked it. And it's one of those things where you fall in love as like a user, which sometimes is good and bad because it kind of blinds you and just naively didn't know how big the actual market was. And so they had users. It was growing. They were getting the content, all the IP rights. But it was a small market, and that wasn't something that I was aware of. And I think they were—they came through the New York Angels, 
after they just finished uh, Jace Alcanis's launch incubator. And so nothing to discredit Jason, but I think I put too much weight on the fact that like, oh my God, he's investing. But like, I didn't understand fully the concept of like an incubator that there were also dozens of other companies coming out of it. It's kind of like a cohort and it just didn't work. Like a lot of other consumer companies, they had revenue, they had some growth, but it never kind of took off. And so definitely learned a lot from that. Description uh, consumer consumers have no idea what they want. Generally, they have to be told. Um, we are fickle, especially now. So that was 2015, 2023. Like we have the uh, memory of like a goldfish. Ooh, that's new and shiny. Tomorrow, something new and shiny. So definitely trying to stay a little bit away from consumer these days. But still, one of my better investments is a consumer product that I never would have thought, anyways. Wait, maybe tell us a little bit about that. A smart dog collar called Fi. So sure. I'm a dog guy, love dogs. My dog ran away when I was younger. Um, we him obviously, and uh, it worked out. We have a dog. So it's one of those things, once again, you kind of fall in love with it. Like, oh, I had this problem. And so this solved the problem. It's a geo uh, collar that's kind of like a Fitbit for dogs. And hardware is hard. That's what everybody always says. But they're doing phenomenal. The founder's amazing, figured out unit economics. And it's a problem that if you are a dog owner, you understand. And luckily there's a lot of dog owners, but no, never did I think like, oh, investing, yay, cool tech companies would uh, solid collar be one of my better investments, right? You're like, oh, I need the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. So luckily it's, uh, it is hard and it's a, it's a good moat. Yeah. I am um, very little on hardware personally, just because mostly I don't have any expertise. Like I don't have like a comparative advantage in investing those things personally, uh, or an edge, I guess you want to call it, right? I don't, uh, in life. Um, but you know, I think what's, um, the things we always hear from people about their first investments is, um, hmm. they put too much money in or, um, you know, decided too fast. Did you like, did you feel like you made any of those common mistakes upfront that kind of changed how you do everything going forward? We definitely didn't do it too fast. If anything that's happening these days, and I think we're going to get back to it with the pendulum swinging back to investors, was we did a lot of diligence. Uh, numbers didn't tell us otherwise. Like So for like Lapley, it was consumers on the right growth path. We just didn't see how it could go really beyond like, I don't know, like a series A. But they did raise follow-on capital. So that's where I was naive in terms of like growth capital. So like, cool. When I make an investment, at least now that I've learned is probably people think differently today, but at least for the last few years is I'm investing in a pre-seed seeds up and generally they won't be profitable. They won't control their own destiny, which is all the advice we're giving founders today. But I need to invest in a company that can raise more capital. That's the game we're in. So I might like the founders. I might like the idea, the product, the company, but no matter what traction you get, or if you're not raising enough money to get you to that next round of like a series A, I'm a scout for series A. In 2021, last few years, I was just on the phone and meeting with series A companies to find out what they want to invest in. It's trying to predict the future mm -hmm. of like, great, if I invest in them now, what are they going to invest in in a year? And so that was a kind of clicking moment for me. I know I'm supposed to just invest in the greatest companies and they'll figure it out. And some yeah. have. I can't help them all, but like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, is this a fad? Is this a lasting kind of trend? Uh, will this live on not just for a few years, but like, is this going to be something in the future? 
so that biggest realization I had years ago, um, mm -hmm. really what we say, and it's just that like the value add statement is we invest in founders. Generally half our investments are pre prides pre-revenue. And so we have to believe the founder has the expertise. They have the network, they have the knowledge, they can sell, they can hire, they can go out and raise capital. They can motivate, uh, through the, in the bad, whether they're a solo founder, which is sometimes good at being a benevolent dictator, or they have a well-rounded kind of co-founder team of a CEO business, a CTO, if it's technical, maybe a CMO, depending on what they need. So that's really what we focus on early on. Got it. Yeah, the uh, the whole insight around exit liquidity is really important. And while like, you know, future funds uh, being written, you know, we raise the seed and then A and B, they're not necessarily exit liquidity. But in some sense, you always have an exit. You have to have someone that's willing to pay a higher price for the thing that right. you bought in at, right? And so it's an interesting way to think about theory. it. Yeah. If someone invests, when people ask, like, what do I invest in things that will make money? Uh, make like revenue yeah. and profit and net profit that will exit. I believe when I give you a check that I will get back 10 to 20 times my money minimum. And so when people say, oh, founders, don't worry about the exit when you start. No, you should worry about the exit. You are building a company to sell it, whether it's an IPO to sell into the public market or sell to another company. But that is the goal, to look like a tasty piece of cheese and get acquired by somebody else. Yeah. That's the goal, to exit. Yeah. No, I, I think the uh... – because there's like a lot of people that believe in like mission-driven founders or like what, what are yeah, they in it for to great. solve the problem? They can be, they can both be true at the same time. You can be mission driven and have an exit philosophy, right? Right. As yeah, you can be mission driven and you just happen to have an exit. No, I want to make it clear that if you take venture capital and you'll see it on Twitter, like, oh, they force us to grow. Well, that's their business model. You need to understand their business model as they understand yours. And so, okay, great. Forced growth and everything that happened. I think we're kind of getting over those crazy days now and we're starting to become a little bit more rational, but still, you need to grow. You need to continue hitting your revenue, your growth targets, whether it's just enterprise and logos, something that somebody else needs and wants. Totally. Um, one of the things, so it sounds like uh, partners is a family affair on your end. Uh, about that dynamic, uh, or sorry, not partnering, but investing with your family. Big um, like investment committee, you know, how does it work? So initially, uh, father and then I joined him and he's my best friend. Uh, he came to the party and we hang out, but like growing up, we all had to start companies. So it's not like we had like those very like formal dinners or anything fancy of like, Oh, how was business today? It was just like, we would talk tech. I went to CES with him, uh, 12 times. So like we'd geek out over products and it was just a fun thing, like to talk something intellectual. And so when we find companies, we debate it and it's a fun, healthy debate. Maybe it's like just how we were brought up to question things like, why do you believe that? And so I actually had to hone my skills. Sometimes I'm a little bit aggressive, a little black and white with my statements in terms of how I make generalities. And I get caught on Twitter or other things like, oh, that's going to zero. That's bad. That shouldn't have happened. So I try and analyze that. Uh, and that's where the debate comes in where we each have our own beliefs based on experience and we discuss it. One, does this round make sense? Great, we can consider it, it's less than 10 million, this is the right amount that they have to raise. Two, do we like this industry? Is this something where it can be helpful? 
Uh, do we think this is going to be a long lasting industry, not just kind of like a trend? Oh, let's do some shoes. Let's do some consumer boxes. Um, that was kind of cool for a while that kind of disappeared direct to consumer CPG. We all have them. Some are doing well, some not, but like some trends, uh, are AR, um, we debate that, um, is, are we FOMOing? Like, are we angsting for this? Uh, but so understand we're smaller checks, like 25, 50, hundred thousand. So we value the time of the founders, uh, the answers where we'll take one, three meetings max. And so when people talk about diligence, we get at most really like three hours with the founder. So for $2,500,000, we're very cognizant of the time, but on the back end, I research, I come specifically with questions. Now, having been doing this for many years, I've seen almost every iteration of every company. And so it's like, great, you're not the first and only, how are you better? Do you say you have competition? Um, dive them, our friends are invested in them. I have no insight or knowledge, but like, they have more money, they're farther ahead. How are you gonna take their clients or beat them for future clients? Um, and so that's kind of our diligence. And then we're like, great, do we believe in the team and the founders that a lot of our investments will pivot, not like a 180, but they'll figure something out along the way and they'll focus on new customer, a new product, uh, a new market. And so between all that, we're like, all right, yeah, that's good enough. We're in, we're humble. We're gonna be along for the journey. Got it. No, it's it's kind of to have a, a team sport on it, and uh, I also uh, does some investing, just generalized investing in real estate and other stuff. So I always enjoy bouncing it off of them, and I, it sounds nice to have a more formal structure behind it to do it, like on a on a repeat. Yeah, so. an informal formal structure. Like we'll sit down, we have a list of companies we've looked at, we kind of look at industry trends and news, and we kind of just like tr connect the dots these days because we've seen so much. But then again. Uh, we are wrong more often than we're right, but it is a hit business. And so now we're starting to see that happen with portfolios, ours, friends, VCs, that the numbers are starting to become more true, that some of these companies should have gone out of business a long time ago, but they were kind of artificially inflated. And mm -hmm. so now the numbers are starting to become a little bit more realistic. It is uh, rational wins is dissipating uh, quickly, um, but also... All right, so I appreciate you answering all those questions. Um, I was fascinated, I, and I, as always, I checked every episode, like the barometer check is, did I learn something? And I, there's a few things I've written down and decided to think about more. Um, on a more spicy note, um, we do our Twitter takes. Uh, so I'm on Twitter all the time with some good, some sort of uh, dancing or whatever, or with uh, good startup euphemisms on top of it. Uh, so look at a few, um, uh, tweet X's these days. I don't even know what to call it, honestly. Zeets. I'm just like, I'm confused. Uh, no, I like it. Bad PR, but yeah, I whatever. Know. It works for now. All right. Well, I'm going to share my screen here. Um, our first one is from Gail, who was a, a guest previously on the episode or on the podcast. And um, I like this open-ended, but it was something that got me thinking. Uh, so Gail, what does the future of angel investing look like? I was just asked to speak about this on a panel and would love to crowdsource some thoughts. I'll write up my forecasting yep. of future angel insights. So the prize here. Um, but I read their replies. I'm interested to hear your take. What's the hope for angel investing? It's not going to go away. Definitely it's <laughs> increasing now. But people always angel invest. And there's a whole range of you're an angel investor. You made like one investment. You're somewhat of a tourist, but we need you. Like you're 
capital and it's cool for you. You get to talk about it. It's fun. And then there's the other side of a professional angel investor that we've graduated into. And it was something that you mentioned before that I want to bring up again is you went quickly. It was really cool. Uh, there's a little bit of FOMO and you kind of invest in the first deal you saw. So I always want to tell angel investors who are new, and we did this at the New York Angels, and I tell this to my friends, don't invest for like the first three to six months. No matter how cool, even if Andreessen, Sequoia, anybody leading it, learn as much as you can first. Don't FOMO, don't hype into your first deal. The best thing about founders and entrepreneurship uh, and startups is there's always going to be another one. And so, okay, maybe you missed a great deal. If anyone guarantees you a success or that this will make you money, first thing you do is you walk away. <laughs> Please walk away from that. Yeah, no, yes. I mean- that I... Nothing is guaranteed in this world. Nothing is de-risked because you raise some money. If it's too good to be true, it is. Yeah, I, you know, having built like, and you built some yourself, it's like you kind of, have this internal understanding that of how much has to go right and it's like this tally of things that has to go right that if you just said it out loud is like very unlikely like it's just inherently the probability is very low that all these things happen at the same time or you know or in serial or yeah. sequence whatever it is right and i always yep. think about that as i'm about to write a check i'm like huh i mean i'm betting on some randomness happening right and some serendipity and some luck like and I, is this person yeah. able to harness the luck uh, are you a marvel geek like you watch all the avengers and I, all those I, you know i'm a fan but not a i don't live eating it. either way yeah. at the at end game when they're on the planet they just lost the thanos right like dr strange is sitting there he's going through all the different scenarios iron man's like what you do is like i looked at all the different scenarios of how many we win of like 14 million i think 103 specifically and they went in one, like the odds of this being a success, getting to like a billion dollars in IPO, it's almost impossible. So I just want people to understand that if you make an investment, you should expect to lose that money, like statistically, and just only invest what you can lose. So I just want to warn people against it in terms of your ability to invest. But the future investing, it will become more rational. So the last few years, besides 2021, mm -hmm. We were leading up through a large bull market with a lot of IPOs and acquisitions. So there were a lot of new millionaires, accredited investors created. And so what do I do with newfound wealth? I want to reinvest into the system, which is great because we are the scouts, angel investors. I love them because we see literally and take the biggest risk of any investors. Like, yes, you can invest oh, 10 million, 100 million you're investing and risking more money, but they wouldn't be there without us. So I want to give credit to all the angel investors. Even if you have $1,000 or $5,000, you don't need to invest more. Just learn and don't annoy. And I have found on cap tables, more often than not, the smaller checks mean more and they add more value. Yeah, that's 100% been my experience too. Uh, I mean, obviously big checks are money and they're meaningful for you salaries, them. all yeah. that. But to your point, like those are the people that go from bat to bat for you. They do all the small things. Brian Nichols, who was one of our Angel early squad. guests. And yeah, he, I mean, he preaches this all the time. And uh, I think when I first heard oh, it, yeah. I was like, yeah, a little knock on my own self. Like I don't write big enough checks to be meaningful. And, you know, I think the more I talked with him about it and thought about my own experience and what founders told me, it was like, no, you're like one of the most helpful people. You actually take my call, right. you pick up <laughs> at 9 p.m. at night, you know. 
it's not useful from maybe a monetary standpoint, but what comes with it is your network, your introductions, your expertise. That is useful. So that's the difference of smart money and dumb money. Hmm. And sometimes like we're it. even dumb money. I can't help you all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you're just the commodity. You are the money. And yep. that's okay. So it is. All right. One more tweet and or zeet. And this one's actually for me. So a little self promotional, but I tweeted it today and I actually, I think it's a fun one because I got in a few of these ah. DMs and I was like, man, this just rubs me the wrong way. So from Colin Gardner, the fastest way to get a no from an investor with a cold DM is to dump the Calendly link in their lap at the end of the message. Uh, just me or do others feel the same? Fresh. See likes. I liked it right before this. I saw that oh. and uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that. So I should be one of your likes, but uh, I have. Uh, there he is. Yep. See, there it is. I follow. I do my research as well. And so, yeah, my DMs, I get probably a dozen a day and a dozen emails also that are just, yes, copy and paste. I appreciate the cold DM. And if you don't copy and paste the DM, I'll reply back to you. And so there are certain things I don't invest in. No fintech, biohealth, education, insurance, and a bunch of other industries we just don't mm -hmm. like or really believe in. And so I was just, great. Sorry, we don't do fintech. We don't do crypto. We don't do education. So a fast and easy no. It cuts it off. It's not just sitting there. But yes, if you aren't following me, we haven't engaged. Generally, I'll see someone reply to a bunch of my tweets, and then I expect to have a DM. Great. You put in the work. Just don't copy and paste all of it. Make it a little bit personal, but that's fine. But if you're going to copy and paste it, keep it to like a few sentences, a few bullets. If I see multiple paragraphs, and it goes the same for emails. I'm not reading multiple paragraphs, especially if most of it's fluffed. We're the first and only this, I'm working on this, blah, blah, blah. No, just I'm a bullet points guy. My emails, I write a sentence, something, bullet, concise, next topic, move on. So that's what I like. I want to know your traction. I want to know your team. I want to know your raise. Send me a link to your deck. I'll click it. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Um, but same thing with emails. I have on my website, if someone just spent five minutes like Googling my name, going to nyvp.com, I have a pitch us site. And it says, if you put invest op, OP, uh, ask your company name, nine out of 10 times, I'll open your email uh, and reply back. Oh, to that's you. interesting. So it's kind of like a bozo filter that if you put in a little bit of the work just to go to my website and see what I ask of you in the header, it pops up. I have a filter in my email. I will almost guaranteed read it and almost unless it's really bad spam, copy and paste, like unformatted and like multiple paragraphs reply back to you. I love the bozo filter. Uh, that's a good, that's a good line. Uh, I need to introduce some tripwires into my, uh, my own flows. Uh, the, uh, I think the thing for me about it is it just doesn't feel personal. And I think that goes with all things in sales, no matter, you, you know, even if the founder is the target at some point, it's like, you're more likely to get engagement if it's personal. And, and one of the pieces yeah. of advice I give to founders, so a founder asked me the other day was like, what should I subscribe to or listen to uh, you know, to be like most up to date on what's going on startups, meet investors? That and I was like, you should just get on Twitter and just respond to their their tweets and then just yep. DM them because all of a sudden they know who you are. And I was like, it's that simple. That was like the best investment that you could it's possibly make. It's a great make. start, little bit of work and a lot more upside. So the odds are still infinitesimally low for like a response or a meeting, but you put in the work and we appreciate it. And I totally understand. I don't need someone like doing your research on my entire life and doing like my background in bio, but this is a sales transaction business. 
uh, people ask like what business we're in as angels and investors. And ironically, people think we're in the business of investing. We're not. We're in the business of exits. It's like bug versus feature. So the bug is we invest. The feature is exits. And so that's what I want to know. And that's why I have no problem with founders knowing what their exit will be and talking about exits and talking about making money. I want that to motivate them. You're not doing all this painfully to do some impact. You are, but I want to see that like in your pitch and come through. Uh, and I talk to you as well. Totally. All right. Well, this was super fun. I have a lot of little euphemisms I'm going that I'm going to be using the Bozo filter. Um, but first off, Trace, thanks for coming on. I love learning about your experience, angel investing, um, and I hope you uh, enjoyed it as well. Yeah, I do. It's uh, fun and it's a pleasure to work with so many great and smart people every day. Nice. All right. Thank you for being on.